Father, we pray that over um, the rest of this service as well, that as, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that through your word, the gospel would again come and touch each one of our hearts. Lord, we know that that's the only place where we can turn to truly find comfort and hope and peace in this world is, is you and your word. And so, Father, we come now to your word looking for wisdom and guidance and, and hope. And so we, we ask you to, to speak to us right now through your word and that, that all of the various things that could distract us, our own fears and frustrations and anxieties, all those things could, that could distract us, Lord, we pray that you would push them off so that we could hear you clearly this morning. So, Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're still in Genesis this morning, so if you have your Bibles with you, open to Genesis chapter 2, and we're looking at the final Two verses, and if you don't have your Bible with you, there is one in the in the seat in front of you. If you want to grab that, um, this is the final message in this part of the series when we're focusing on created, and then um, the next part of the series will begin next week. When we're focusing on um, some of the brokenness of creation. Um, but just two verses this morning. Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's kind of one of the things I've become very fond of saying lately, especially when I'm doing a wedding, is just reminding everyone that history begins and ends with a wedding. Um, at the beginning of creation, in the passage we just re- read, we, we see a wedding between Adam and Eve, but we also look forward to a wedding that comes at the end of history when Christ comes again and marries his bride, the, the church. And we're told that the rest of eternity will be this wedding supper, or what we call it now, wedding reception of the Lamb. It'll be the celebration of the wedding between Christ and his people. And, and one of the reasons why it's so important to know this, to see that marriage was there at the beginning and marriage is there all the way until the end, is it reminds us of a couple things. It reminds us, one, that, that marriage is important. Um, that it has been there from the very beginning. It's, it's baked into creation. Um, and, and it's even baked into history. It's baked into just how the story of history is told requires us to understand marriage. And so it, there's, it's an important part of the human life is, is marriage. Um, and I even mentioned at the very beginning of this series, part of our mandate, right? We are created to have dominion over the earth, and part of that just requires there to be marriage, for us to be fruitful, to multiply, to build families, to build societies, to build cultures. And, and underneath all of that, the negative is, is once you begin to lose marriage, you begin to lose families, and then societies, and then cultures. And so um, marriage is, is a big deal. 
Um, but another important part of understanding that, that history begins with marriage, it's baked into creation, is that just the reminder that marriage was, is, God's idea. Um, it's not, marriage isn't just a cultural thing that we decided like, hey, this might work out better if we, you know, commit to one another. It's actually something that happened right at the beginning of history and God said, I am going to create marriage and I'm going to create it between a husband and a wife. And, and when we recognize that it's something that God created, it also reminds us that marriages need to function then according to the way that God has designed it. Otherwise, things don't work. We don't get to kind of pick and choose um, how marriage is going to work. It has to function the way God has designed it to. And if you don't, things don't work out well. And we're beginning to see that even in our own culture, that as we start to uh, try to make marriage whatever we want it to be, um, it doesn't work. And we start seeing, as a youth pastor, I dealt with a lot of kids who came from a lot of broken homes and, and all of the struggle and the mess from that. And, uh, and even this week, I was just reading an article, and it said, right now, um, the marriage rate in the United States is the lowest it's ever been in the history of our country. So the number of people who are actually getting married is the lowest it has ever been in the history of our country. It's because we're not understanding what marriage is, and we've twisted it to become something that's not what God has designed. And so it's important. All of this just helps us understand. It's important for us to understand how God designed marriage and then, and then to live accordingly. Um, and, and as I go to dive into our passage, I, I just have a couple um, caveats I want to say. The first one is, um, I can't cover every aspect of marriage in one sermon. It's impossible, and I'm not going to try. So there's going to be things that you're going to be like, hey, you didn't talk about this. I know. Um, not because I was trying to dodge it, but some of those things are going to come up later on. This is going to be a, the series is going to be plenty long to cover various aspects of marriage, but this time we're just focusing on Genesis 2. So, so be patient. Um, the other thing is just a reminder of something that we've already taught that I think is really essential for us to understand, especially in, in this passage, is that we've been created body and soul. And that's going to be a truth that's going to come up over and over and over again throughout this series. But one of the things that we need to remember is we've created body and soul. We can't emphasize one of those over the other. We have to hold them kind of at an equal place. And as we look at this, at this passage from Genesis 2, we need to look at it from the angle of body and soul as well. And so last week, we, we talked about how Eve was created, right? And Eve was presented to Adam, and Adam expressed his delight in her. And then the very next thing that we read is, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. And it, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week, and I thought, I don't, I don't hear many people talk about this as being an essential part of marriage. We kind of just skip over it and think, well, duh. And then we, we move on. But the more I thought about it, this is an essential part of a happy, healthy marriage, a part of God's design. When a husband and wife get married, they must be separated from their parents. Um, of course, not complete separation, right? Not the, the command to honor your father and mother doesn't just kind of disappear at that point. But there has to be a separation because something new is being created. And, 
And we know this uh, because you don't see many happily married couples living with their parents for a very long time. Right? You know some, right? Like I know people who've had to live with their parents for a while while their house was being built or whatever. And, but those people, I know, were ready to get out of the house of their parents and start something new. Um, because this separation needs to happen. It's an essential part. And the separation needs to happen body and soul. And, and what I mean by that is we, we know that there can be this possibility of being having a physical separation from our parents, but deep down in our soul, we're still acting as if we're living under their house. We're, we're relying on them for all of our needs. We're, we're, we're still connected, acting like we're there physically. But So we're separated physically, but our soul is still connected to them. And that's not the way God designed it. There has to be even a separation of this kind of soul because there's a new thing that's being started, a new family, a new home, a new life. And it's not just a reminder for those who are getting married. It's also a reminder for parents whose kids are getting married that you have to let them go. Um, It's a reminder for you that part of this is on you, that God told them that their job is to be separated from you and to start something new over here. And in part of that is God telling you as parents, you need to let them go and help them start something new. And if you don't let go and you don't allow the separation to happen, um, you're actually going to hinder their marriage. And that's a big, big deal. And so one of the principles I've, I've told people, again, you don't, it's not staying completely out of their life, but allowing separation so that the actions that you're taking are designed to, to allow them to be starting something new. And as I thought about this, um, I thought it's one of the things I've really appreciated about Rachel's and I's parents. They really allowed us to do this. Um, to just kind of get off and start our own home and our own family. And you might laugh because you think, well, you lived, there's not a lot of physical separation between you and your parents. You lived like less than 100 yards away. But there was a separation there. And we lived 100 yards away, but our parents let us do. My parents didn't meddle. They just let us do our thing. And if we needed something, we could come to them. And Rachel's parents didn't meddle. They let us start our own thing. And they supported, they encouraged, but we had an opportunity to do our thing. And we worked really hard to rely on each other rather than our parents. This is between us two now, and we need to rely on each other. And so to have a healthy marriage, there needs to be this separation, um, and there needs to be body and soul. And and part of that separation is what I tried to talk about. It says a man is going to leave his father and mother and then hold fast to his wife. And if any of you grew up with the King James, it uses the word cleave, right? And so you've heard people over the years say, well, marriage is about leaving and cleaving, which is nice, it rhymes, uh, but most of us really don't know what cleave means. I think of a cleaver, which cuts things apart, but that's not what it's talking about, right? It's it's talking, you, you know, this translation is good. It says hold fast, or in other places it translates this word as cling to, Or um, in reading a book this week on marriage, it said this word has connotations of gluing something together. 
Um, but I really like the language, the idea of hold fast. I like that imagery because when I think of somebody holding fast, I get this picture in my brain of, of a ship at sea, a ship at, at, in a stormy sea, and it's being tossed back and forth by waves, and waves are crashing over the boat, and you see this sailor in the middle of the boat worried he's going to be tossed over, and he's holding fast to the mast, refusing to let go, holding on for dear life. I'm not going to let go, because if I let go, I will die. And that imagery is one for marriage. You leave father, mother, there's separation there, and then you grab hold of your spouse and you say, I am not letting go. No matter what happens, no matter what storm comes, no matter what waves hit us, I am not letting go. Which is why it's important for parents to let go, just to jump back to that point. Because if the parents refuse to let go, you're hindering them from holding on to their spouse. They have to let go of you and hold on to their spouse and say, it's you and me, and we're holding on to each other. And uh, parents can, can hinder that. And so um, one of the things I've told parents over the years is as you interact with your, your sons and daughters and your son-in-laws and your daughter-in-laws, try to interact in a way that you're actually helping them let go of you and hold on to their spouse more. Because um, where I've seen some major problems over the years is where parents are interacting with their kids and trying to get their kids to hold on to them more than their spouse, and that never ends well. And so work so that they hold on to their spouse more than they hold on to you. Um, but there's one more part of this word, hold fast, that I, I, it's just really important for us to talk about. Um, here's, here's, Tim Keller says this in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. He says the word cleave, uh, the Hebrew word underneath it, means to unite to someone through a covenant, a binding promise or oath. And, and here's why that's so important. That, that the holding fast is in terms of a, of a covenant, which is a promise. And it's more than just a promise between you and him and nobody else. A covenant is a public thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, if it's just between you two and nobody else, then it's not a covenant or it's not an oath or a promise. Those things have to happen in front of a group of people that are going to hold you accountable. That's why weddings are a big deal. And I actually, I will say it stronger, weddings are essential to marriage. It's actually something God designed. We didn't just come up with weddings because we thought, well, this would be fun. And pretty, and, and you know, and, and it'll be just, we can get dressed up cute. And we, no, it's actually part of God's design because when you stand, you need to be able to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I do. For better or worse, come hell or high water, I'm holding on to you. And so we need that accountability and support. But so I've got a couple weddings coming up. Um, that I'm going to be leading. And so I've been thinking of all the different aspects of a wedding. And it, it's all tied to Genesis 2. I mean, think about it. What's the first question you ask when you do a wedding? You have the parents stand up and you ask the parents questions. Why? Because it's just some old traditional thing? No, because God said, parents, you need to let go. And so we're going to have you stand up in front of a whole bunch of people and say, are you ready to let go of this child? Because you need to be held accountable by it. You need to let your child leave. 
be separated from you. And then you look to the couple and you say, okay, are you going to hold on to each other, come hell or high water, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer? Are you going to do that? And they look out at a group of people and they say, yes, we do. And then there's, there's not only just that in front of people that makes it a serious thing, but there's accountability to it for the parents as well. The parents have accountability. You stood up and you said, you're going to let these two leave and do something. Let them leave. And the couple stands up in front of a bunch of people, and there's accountability there too, saying, you promised. You're holding on to each other. You weren't going to let go. Now we're here. We're going to support you. We're going to hold you accountable, but we're going to encourage you to keep doing that. And that's how things have been since the beginning. And so one of the beautiful things of a wedding ceremony is it's designed to, sh- to preach this message that this couple is leaving their parents, leaving their father and their mother, and they're holding on to one another. And then the more you do that, the more you hold on to one another through, through thick and thin, the more you begin to understand this last part of the verse, this one flesh Union. It says, a man will leave his father, his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a sense, I mean, if any of you have been married for any period of time, you know that at the moment of marriage, you're, you're one. You're united. And yet, the more you go through life um, clinging to one another through thick and thin, that union deepens. And that oneness deepens, and it gets rich. And so it keeps happening, but I always remember, remind people that this doesn't say a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they will become a good team. They'll become one. And the Bible says in other parts, that's a mystery. We don't understand that. But after you've been married for a while, you kind of start to get it. You kind of start to get it. That there's a oneness here that only God can do. And, and then you live together and you hold on to each other and that oneness deepens and you get to the point where you realize that any separation, right, is going to cause damage, right? If you glue two things together and then you try to separate them, something happens, something breaks, there's damage. And so there's that aspect of one flesh. But I've kind of been waiting to throw this part in here. Um, but... There's something else we need to talk about, that what I reminded us at the beginning, is that we've been created body and soul. And I've only talked about holding fast and becoming one flesh spiritually through the soul. Um, and we can't downplay that. That's important to, to marriage. That's significant to marriage. But the other significant is you need to do those things physically as well. You need to hold fast to one another physically. You need to become one flesh. And all of the innuendo behind that, physically, that's the way God designed it. And and something that we know is that the moment that physical stuff stops happening, the marriage starts withering and dying and, and drying up. And so one of the things that, and I'm just going to be blunt and honest, um, the moment you stop physically holding fast to your spouse, you are stopping spiritually holding fast to them as well. That those two are, are deeply connected. The moment you stop becoming one flesh with your spouse, the moment you will stop becoming one flesh with them spiritually. Because God has created us body and soul. 
And these two things are together, and we can't neglect one or the other. As much as we want to try to pretend like we can, they both are deeply connected. The reason we hold fast physically is a representation of us holding fast spiritually. And the same with becoming one flesh, the same with leaving and um, leaving our father and mother. And so God created us body and soul. We need both of these. And God actually designed our marriages to function the same way, body and soul. Um, and there's one more point I need to make before I, I wrap up. And in order to make the point, I want to um, look at the way Jesus quoted this passage. Because this is actually Genesis 2.24. Jesus teaches on this passage a lot. Um, and and here's, here's what he says. Um, people were trying to trap him, but he starts teaching. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Right, so there's, there's two things that Jesus is teaching very explicitly here. And the first thing, he, he jumps back to um, Genesis 1, and he says God created them male and female. And he talks about a man leaving for his wife. And, and so Jesus is being very clear that from the beginning, God has designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. That, that's been the beginning. That was part of the design um, there, there's really no question there in what Jesus was teaching. But he also said this, which is interesting because that's not exactly how it's worded in our, in, in our Bibles. But he says, our Bibles say, they shall become one flesh. But Jesus emphasizes the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. And what he means by that is one man, one woman. Not one man and two women, or three or four. Or not one woman and two men, or three or four men. Um, he says, no, the two. And he emphasized, he said it multiple times, those two should become one. That's the way, and he said, that's the way it has been from the beginning. One man, one woman, no more. And, and some people say, what about Abraham? And, and what about all these other patriarchs that had, there was one man and a whole bunch of women. <laughs> For one, do you really want that? No. But two, <laughs> I mean, come on, I'm sorry. That's not in my notes, but I mean, one woman's enough, right? Um, <laughs> and... For my wife's sake, one man's enough, right? She, she, she's got, I've got, her hands are full. Um, but two, <laughs> but two, just because they did it didn't mean it was okay. Uh, these were actually men who were in rebellion against God and his design. And God still, in his mercy, used them to build his people. Isn't that amazing? Um, and so we have this tendency to look back and think all of these things that happened in the Bible and they didn't get punished for them, they must be okay. And their answer is, no, Jesus said, no, from the beginning, it was one man and one woman and all of these other guys through the Old Testament who had a whole bunch of wives were in rebellion against God, but God still used them. And so it's one man, one woman, two. 
And here's why this is so important. I know some people can say, well, why do you guys get so wound up about marriage all the time? I mean, it's, um, you seem to focus on it, which we don't, I don't think. But the reason being is that marriage in the Bible points beyond our marriages to something bigger. Um, our marriages actually aren't about our marriages. Um, here's, here's what God's word says. It says, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. It says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so the powerful thing is your marriage isn't about you. God designed marriage in the beginning to show the world what his relationship with his people was. And so that's why you, you read through the Old Testament, and every time God's people are unfaithful, they're called an adulterous generation. Because they're cheating on their husband, who's God. But more importantly, it says marriage is designed to point us to, in particular, the relation between Jesus Christ and his church. That God designed it so that the world would look at marriages and say, that's how God relates to his people. And when we get marriage wrong, and when we don't live according to the way that God has designed marriage, we're actually showing the world the distorted picture of God. And his people. And to say it even more strongly, when our marriages aren't functioning the way God designed, our marriages are actually preaching a false gospel. That's strong, but it's true. And so it's it's a an important thing. And yet the flip side is, is when we see this happening, we see a man and a woman, we see them leave their father and mother, we see them hold fast to one another. And, and they become united, and then they just live that out through thick and thin. There's a beautiful gospel message preached to the world. I mean, we're reminded that Jesus left his Father in heaven and took on flesh, came to the world, came to earth so he would live and die for the forgiveness of our sins. We're reminded that when we look to Jesus in faith, he says, I'm going to hold fast to you. I'm going to grab hold of you. I'm never going to let you go. No matter what happens to you, richer or poorer, sickness and health, I am holding on to you and I will never let you go. And Jesus says, and then you are going to become one with me, united with me in my life, my death, my resurrection. Everything I have, you have as well. That's why it's so important to have marriage right. That's why it's so important for us to live out our marriages the way that God has designed because it preaches a beautiful, powerful gospel message to a world that needs to hear the gospel. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this truth of your word, for this picture of how you relate with us, and even in the midst of all of our mess, and even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, Lord, you are faithful to your people. You've promised you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you'll hold on to us through thick and thin. And we give you praise and thanks for that, Lord. And, and we come to you and we, we, we ask for your forgiveness because we know that we have fallen so far short of what you've, your design is. Even the healthiest of our marriages fall short of your design, Lord. And so we, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your restoration, Lord. We... We ask that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to truly live in this world the way that 
you've called us to live, each one of us, whether married or not married, but in particular this morning, Lord, for us who are married, Lord, help us interact between each other like you interact with your people. Father, give us strength to endure the difficult times. Give us courage to fight for our marriages when we need to. And then, Lord, use our marriages to show the world who you are and how you treat us, Lord. Use our marriages to preach a gospel to the world that's irresistible. And all God's people said, amen.